Good evening. Uh, tonight's class was uh, sponsored by Mrs. Uh, Miriam Diller. This is in honor of her grandmother's Yortzeit, Chana Bas Rav Yaakov, on the 7th of Tevis. Mir Nisham, have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May she channel lots of brachas to you and all that you need and all that you want, uh, both in the material and in the spiritual. The shir was also sponsored by uh, Rabbi um, Ruvain and Chanaliba uh, Nathanson. This is in honor of Chanaliba's birthday, Mazel Tov, on the 11th of Tevis. May you have a shnas bracha natzlacha, wonderful, wonderful good year, with much bracha, mazel, and only, only good things to you and your family, uh, in the uh, blessings, both in the material and in the spiritual, in all that you want and all that you need, and a way of our Chava of great, great, great uh, uh, blessing. Another dedication tonight was by Rabbi uh, Yaakov Goldfinger. This is in honor of his mother's yard site on the 4th of Tevis. Green Abbas Rabbi Yitzchak. May her nisham have the greatest aliyah to the greatest of heights. Much, much mazel and bracha to you. And uh, she should be a melitz yosher for you and your family to channel down great, great blessings for the entire mishpacha. Um, the shir was also sponsored this week by Chava Rachel Krintzman. This is Lazei Hanishmas, her mother's yard site on the eighth day of Hanukkah, Adina Edel Bas Esther Etel. May her neshama have the greatest aliyah. May she channel lots of brachas to you in mazel and parnasah bar Chava and, and good health and only, only good things in the, in the material and in the spiritual. And one more dedication. This was on the CD, Baruch Hashem. Uh, we have our CDs back. I want to thank those that have sponsored the CD. It has been a long time. Um, we had a lot of problems. We even got a new machine, and then we had to send that back. So many obstacles, but Baruch Hashem, I think this week will be up and running. Um, I'm praying that all should go good, well in its production. Um, so th- uh, those that have dedicated the CD wanted to machine, wanted to be anonymous. I thank them very much. And now for this particular CD this week was dedicated by my dear friend Michal Rafal Sternlieb from Palm Springs. And this is in honor of his father's yard site on the 11th of Tavis, next week, Monday. Um, I think on the 10th of Tavis, I think they made a mistake when they wrote on the 11th. Menachem Mendel Hakoyen Ben Yosef. Hakoyen. Allah Vashalem. May his neshama have the greatest aliyah to the greatest of heights. Much, much bracha, mazel, and only, only good things to you. And may may you only have happiness and revealed goodness in your life. Uh, Thanks to all those that have dedicated. We appreciate it, appreciate it greatly. Okay. Uh, this week is Parshas Vayigash, and we are trying to find some uh, novelty, some chiddush, something we haven't seen. You know, the Torah is a blueprint of the world, and it's the blueprint of history, and everything that was, it is going to occur throughout all of uh, history is all detailed in the Torah, and actually at the times that they're happening, we read that Parsha. So sometimes we don't we fail to read something. We read the parsha. We look at 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 uh, the same story you read hundreds of years. It's a different story as the Torah is manifesting and guiding us and giving us clarity in the issues that are, are unfolding before our eyes at that particular time. So the Torah is a is a living document. It's constantly being uploaded with new insight, and the Torah itself unravels itself deeper secrets and deeper secrets and deeper secrets as we get closer to Mashiach when the deepest depth of the Torah is going to be revealed through Mashiach Tzedkenu himself. So I'd like to maybe uh, perhaps discover and share with you a thought uh, that is very powerful and very applicable. It was spoken by the Lubavitcher Rebbe in 27 years ago in 1991. Um, 
during this Aparshas uh, Vayigash, and to me it, it seems to be mamish prophecy. It was very, he was addressing the global situation in that time, in, 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 uh, 27 years ago, but it is so much more applicable right now. We're seeing so many amazing things happening around us, and I think a lot of people are failing to notice the unbelievable miracles. I do want to say, for those that are listening to the CD, that I did give two shiurim, but they were not produced on CD. The last two Parsha in my life classes that are online. You have to listen. It's called The Bright. The Bright is Darkness. I discuss certain ideas which are the foundation for what I'm talking about today as well. And I think just hearing what I'm saying today might be a little confusing unless one has the general idea of what is discussed earlier. So you can go to our website, mayon.com, or even better, please, please, please download our app, Mayon app, M-A-A-Y-O-N, on Android and on the iPhone and you can listen to all the classes. And over there, there's two classes called The Brightest Darkness. Very worth, well, worth listening to, to hopefully give some clarity into in confusing times. Um, okay, so uh, let's take a look at this week's parsha and see what's, what's the message for us in the year 2017, just became 2017, in the year 5777. So Parshas Vayigash talks about the Jewish people entering into exile. That's the theme of the parish. It's the first time the people as a people are going down into exile. Before that, we had a personal exile of Yaakov Avinu in the house of love. And we have two weeks ago in Parshas Vayeshev, Yosef HaTzadik, who leads the Jewish people into exile. But that's an individual. That's not the people as a whole. Here we're talking about the Jewish people as an entire people, meaning the nation, uh, 70 people who came along with Yaakov Avinu came down to Mitzrayim. And when we question, you know, for much of our history, we the Jewish people were in exile. We were in in, in an alien land outside of our country. We're the only people in the world, I think, that um, spent most of their history not in their homeland and survived. Other people were driven out of their, their, their land and their home base, but somehow were assimilated and vanished. We, the Jewish people, are still standing as strong as we were back then and even stronger, despite the fact that we were scattered amongst the nations. Obviously, this is something utterly godly, utterly beyond any comprehension or any scientific explanation. It's clearly a miracle of God of our survival and the greatest testimony to the existence of a God that is guiding all of history is the story of the Jewish people. It's really, really, really something amazing. Now, we need to understand, however, our existence in exile, the nature of our being in exile, and more than anything else, what is our, nat- our relationship with the hosting nations in which we, the Jewish people, find ourselves? It keeps on changing as the years pass. We began in various different countries, and we move across. We spoke about it uh, to a great degree two weeks ago. Uh, but I, I want to touch upon certain things that we haven't discussed. And that is, you know, wondering about... The, our existence in, 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 in exile, in Gullus, away from our land, on a very, very superficial level, it will be explained. And it's not that it's not true, it's just extremely shallow and superficial. Um, meaning there is, there is obviously much greater depth to the experience of exile and more to say the purpose of exile. Gullus can be explained Simply, we say it in the Siddur, because of our sins, we've been exiled from our land. We are a godly people. Hashem has um, seen us, has, uh, for whatever reason, chosen Avram Avinu because of the, he gave him ten tests, and he has, his loyalty and his, good, and, his, and his devotion to God was proven beyond any shadow of a doubt. 
God made Hashem made a covenant with Avram that he would make his children into a great nation, draw them close to him in a very special, unique way. Hashem took us to Sinai, gave us the took, did unbelievable miracles for us by taking us out of Egypt. Mamish broke all the laws of nature, showed incredible love to us, gave us the Torah, brought us to the Holy Land, gave us a holy temple, manifested his Shekhinah, his divine presence with us. And no other nation, as we say, Hashem did not do this to any other nation. It's like, as the Pasuk says, which is a great nation that, uh, that, that has God that's so close to him. That, uh, which is a nation that had Hashem as, uh, the Pasuk says, was ever heard something like this. Did anybody hear this, the, the words of God speak to them? I mean, um, the Torah describes how the Jewish people are so special. Now Hashem took us to the land of Israel, showed so much love to us, but we, we did not reciprocate the way we should. We were spoiled. We were not worthy. We took advantage of Hashem's uh, kindness to us, and instead of living up to what we need to be, that special chosen nation devoted and dedicated completely to the observance of Torah and mitzvahs, we messed up, and because of that, God got angry at us. He dispersed us amongst the nations, and this is all a punishment, and we have yet to do tshuva. And once we do tshuva, we will be returned to the land of Israel, and we will live happily ever after, enjoying the great bliss and ecstasy of that great connection to Hashem, that enlightened stage of the days of Mashiach. And how about the rest of the world? The rest of the world can, whatever, that's not our concern. Whatever is going to happen with the rest of the world is none of our business. Um, and so the reason we're in exile has nothing to do with the nations, it is only a punishment for us, and and we are promised by God that one day we will do tshuva. For many people, it's like, wow, wishful thinking. When, in that, when is that going to happen? People don't understand. Right? People are questioning that. It doesn't make any sense. It's been so long. And why should at any other time things change? Why should we suddenly have such a change of heart? But we do know what the Ramam says. That the Torah promises the Jews will do tshuva. So one day, whenever that's going to be, maybe in 10 years, 100 years, 200 years, who knows whenever God wants, He's going to return us to the land of Israel. Hopefully it has to be before the end of the 6,000 years. Fine, that's a approach. That's the way there are people that see the Jewish experience that way. And um, obviously for a thinking human being, that just does not do it. So we have to go a little deeper and we have to probe a little deeper. So we had discussed already many times. Obviously this is more of a Kabbalistic view and a more mystical approach to all of this. The reason the Jewish people are in exile is because we are meant to have an impact on the nations. When God chose us as a chosen people, we weren't chosen as a chosen people just so that we can be close to Hashem and we can have a relationship with Him. We are the emissaries, we are the, the ambassadors, so to speak, to all of mankind. When Hashem created the world, Hashem wanted the entire world to be a place where he can call his home. Hashem wanted the entire world to recognize him as the creator. And all of creation should, be, should serve him with love and with deep uh, awe and respect. And all of mankind should live in peace and in harmony and to be able to um, receive the ultimate blessing of Hashem. Of course, there's gradations and there's a difference between how the Jewish ex- people experience that closeness and that connection and the rest of the world experiences. But, but that's for sure that our chosenness as a people is to be a light onto the nations. And it is therefore important that we bring a message of, of one God, of monotheism, and morals and ethical values 
and 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 a sense of responsibility for for from person to person um, the, the 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 idea of of giving and caring and sensitivity and generosity and kindness these are all um, um, Jewish core values which Hashem wants us to disseminate to all of mankind and that people have to live and should live by a certain morality standard by a certain state of godly expectation of how God wants this world to run in a manner that is consistent with what he sees as decent and as good and as a vessel and a container for God's blessings to, to, to come into, to, to, to manifest. And that is our, our avod. We say it every day in davening. We conclude our, our davening with this, with this vision of a utopian world and where all of the entire, all the nations of the world and all this is... That the recognition in one God and the service of Hashem is accepted by all of mankind. This is part of our Jewish prayer every single day. We say, I am hoping to you, Hashem, to see in the splendor of your majesty that all pagans and all idolatry will be removed from the land. To correct the world with the kingdom of Hashem. Um, and all of mankind um, will call out in God's name that's our vision it has never been a Jewish thing for the Jewish people to go to heaven there is a certain tikkun there's a certain rectification a certain purification a certain enlightenment that we need to bring to all of the world and for that to happen in a real deep true way it required the Jewish people to be scattered amongst the nations so that we can have an true impact on the people that we are living amongst them so that we can do a what we call a real conquering you see you can conquer two ways you can conquer by imposing your thoughts your ideas over over people by forcing people to accept like the Greeks wanted to do the Jewish people to impose their ideas upon us like ISIS wants to do in going into places and conquering it and establishing a caliphate whatever they call it and a and a, 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 a Sharia law and everybody uh, a, a must listen and if not they can get your head chopped off and that is one way of conquest but that's not the 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 conquest that we're talking about we're talking actually about a much deeper conquest a much deeper uh, effect. The ultimate conquest is when you don't only when you're not imposing your will on someone else, and uh, or, or or forcing your ideas on someone else. You're you are forcing, but your forcing of ideas is your 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 the the what you're representing, what you stand for, is so compelling that that the person conforms with what you are teaching or what or the ideas that you represent in a manner that they've completely digested it to the point where they themselves begin thinking that way and when they think that way they don't even realize that it's coming from you it's that they it's not like they're they're living with your ideas they begin to think that way and they think it's their way of thinking that's the ultimate transformation because then you know as long as someone there's, two, there's a few stages there's a stage where you're where you're convincing someone else and they're they're accepting you but they're still feeling that this is what you taught them the ultimate conquest is that you put out ideas and you change the trends and the way of people of thinking to the point where they think your way and they don't even know that they're thinking your way because you said that. They're thinking that way because that makes sense. And that's the unbelievable transformation that the Jewish people have to accomplish in society. We change the world's thinking 
and 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 now when we question, did we accomplish this? Well, if we would take a look at the world a thousand years ago, even five hundred years ago, and see the way the average person thought, the way the 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 the, the state of 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 mind of the way people believed and thought and lived, and the way people think today is so much more consistent with the values and the true meaning of Torah. And I'm not saying there are certain areas in morality, for instance, that uh, are, are uh, in the, our world today not necessarily consistent with the Torah values. Um, one day we're going to address to try to explain what, what, what elements over here are, are deep core essential elements and what are chitzonius, things external uh, uh, beliefs and so forth that that are 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 easier and not core to the way people are thinking, and therefore are easy to be changed. I'm not saying that we're that you know as we walk out in the street and we read the newspapers, we find a perfect Torah world in every aspect. But at the core, core reality of the way people experience life and the way they see themselves and the world around them is very, very, very consistent today with Torah and Yiddishkeit. But it's not a discussion for today's class. So now. Um, that effect the Jewish people have to have on the world, and we have that effect on the world precisely through the exile. How do we accomplish this through the exile? So it happens because, you know, if you think about it, Jewish people in, during the exile were most of the time being seriously persecuted. We were disrespected. We were considered at best second-class citizens. Um, at worst, we were very unwelcome guests, tolerated, and many times not tolerated. And therefore we were expelled, and there was expulsion after expulsion. We had to run, always on the run, always, always being persecuted. So obviously, what kind of effect can we have on the people that, we are, that we're living in? How can we communicate our ideas to the various different peoples that have so persecuted us throughout the generations? So how is this accomplished? And the answer to that is, it is accomplished both uh, mystically and, and um, on a more uh, rational a logical way which one can understand and on the mystical level its accomplishment is not on the plane of the external on the plane of interaction no no one no one is really paying attention what the Jews believe or what the Jews think uh, Jews is living in the ghetto and uh, as we mentioned earlier you know we're, we're barely tolerating the Jews existence however uh, spiritually we are changing the patterns of human thinking we are changing the cultures and the way the Jewish people are doing it is simply by through the observance of Torah and mitzvahs. Through the Torah, the Jews study and when they're doing that geographically across the world and they are deciding in the yeshivas and in all the shuls where Jews are learning that this is kosher and this is not kosher this is right and this is not right this is decent and this is not decent this is legal and this is illegal these things the, the Torah masters the world and it impacts those nations in which we're living in in a manner that they have that people have no awareness of those deep changes that we are changing the the ways people are thinking and this is a, of course it's a mystical concept and what we have to realize is that cultural ideas philosophies um, the, the nature of any given people the things that they're into the belief systems that they have uh, their values and their more sense of morality and all these things 
are not created just down here on the physical plane. These are all derivatives from spiritual forces. There are powerful spiritual forces that are at the root of all nations. And in, 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 in Medrash and Gemara, we talk about the 70 ministering angels. These angels are superpower. Now, initially, they start off very, very unholy, very, very, very anti-God, anti-holiness. They're not accepting the unity of Hashem, and they are in a state of rebellion against Hashem Echad. That is the state of these spiritual forces. As a result of these spiritual forces being in that unholy state, that translates into the various different cultures and the various different ethnicities and nations that are, are hostile to anything, uh, to, to holiness, to Hashem, and to, and to the Jewish people. So that's the way it is initially. When we, the Jewish people, are going amongst the nations, learning Torah and doing mitzvahs, we're causing that purification. A good example for this would be to understand how it's possible that we don't necessarily see what the connection is, but there is a connection, is when you're ever having a problem with your computer, for whatever reason, you've got a virus, something, some, 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 some ad, it's working very slow, there is, there is, there is just there's a problem, things are not working correctly. So you call some kind of a computer tech, uh, t- t- uh, technician, a computer geek, whatever they call him, a geek, comes and he works on the computer. The first thing he does is he steps out of the of the of that of the interface where you're interfacing with computer, and that is in Windows, and he opens up the backside of the computer, the one that we get very scared when we see, and that is that black um, screen that's got just a bunch of digits and and things that we don't understand, and he and he types in all kinds of. Uh, random letters that don't seem to have anything to do with your problem that you have and, and uh, opens up all these various different screens that are absolutely meaningless and works on that inner skeleton, so to speak, in that inner infrastructure of the computer. After he does an hour or two of work and he's done and he opens up back windows, everything is working perfectly. Removed all the obstacles, removed all the, all the things that are in the way, and now there is, uh, and whatever, if he enhanced the computer, removed the, 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 the problems, the virus, whatever it is, now it's working smoothly. The same is the situation. We are not doing the work on the external surface level. We're doing the work in the internal. We're engaging these deep, dark forces and demolishing them. Yeah, just as a result of our observance of Torah and mitzvahs. Every time we have a desire to do something wrong and we don't give in to it, we're breaking, we're literally shattering powerful forces of negativity that stand against God. Every time we're doing something good, we're planting seeds of holiness and we're causing... um, And we're causing... Trends were causing different thinking trends amongst people, which eventually purify and purify and purify and create certain sensitivities and awarenesses and, and refinement in the masses through which through these countries that the Jewish people have traveled. That is now, as we go about doing this, some of the Gentile nations in which we're doing this work love us because of that meaning sense that the Jewish people are here to make a powerful contribution. And then there are those that are extreme um, 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 uh, uh, recipients, so to speak, and connected to the, what we might say the dark side, that which is klipa, that which is unholy in the world, and they sense that the Jew is up to something and it bothers them very much, and that's where anti-Semitism comes from, and the hatred against the Jewish people, and a suspicion that the Jew is up to something, that the Jew has some kind of a vast, vast, uh, what do they call it, vast Jewish conspiracy, which 
is a it's 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 sad, but at the same time, it's kind of funny because what we as Jews don't realize, the people of the world and nations realize, and the Gentile realizes sometimes much more than the Jew, and that that there is some kind of a conspiracy, and they're right. But the thing is that the conspiracy that they're thinking about is that we want to control the world. The Jews are controlling the money and they're controlling the banks and they're controlling the media and they're controlling the this and they're controlling the that. And you know what? That's 100% true. But the control is not because we want world dominance, because we want dominance, just because we want dominance and we want to have a lot of money. God forbid, God forbid. That's not what it is. The control is to eliminate all all, ne- all darkness from the world. We want to control the world so we can infiltrate the world with an awareness of God and bring a higher consciousness to all of humanity and that all of, them, of the world should discover its innate connection to Hashem. And as a result of that, the world will heal from its ailment and from its sickness and all of creation will go into the utopian existence of Mashiach, a time of powerful enlightenment, a time of unbelievable goodness and, and kindness, a time of all of humanity will live in brotherly love with, 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 and with, a, with uh, a deep awareness of the Creator, and every being will be dedicated to worship and to serve the one and only God. That is the conquest that we're doing, and that is the conspiracy. The fact that we're working kind of behind the scenes is, is something that at certain times is sensed by the various different people in the world and can cause and causes some people to get a little antsy and uncomfortable with the Jewish people, and, at, 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 that's at, and sometimes worse than that. Now, that is, on, as we said before, on a mystical level. On the more practical level, the mere fact that Jewish people come in and are, mingle with the nations, talk to people, involve with people, our sensitivities and our refinement and our beliefs rub off somehow or somewhere, gets kind of disseminated into the thinking of other peoples. It also has to do with the fact that there are many Jews who are writers and thinkers and wrote books, and these books are read by many Jews and non-Jews alike. And it's true that not all these Jewish authors and writers are religious, very religious Jews, and necessarily all their works are completely Torah-based ideas. But the core values that they are generally generating, I'm not saying every author and every, but many of them were quite on the contrary, atheists and non-believers, but so many of these thinkers and writers brought about certain beliefs and certain certain morals and certain ethical calling for certain behaviors and certain changes in humanity which are picked up and, and become very much accepted in the cultures and so on and so forth and impacted the world. So again, it's through our observance of Torah and mitzvahs, it's through Jews re, 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 bringing Jewish sensitivities and ideas and, and values to the non-Jewish world. And as a result of that, we rectify the entire world, we purify the world, and we prepare the world for the days of Mashiach. That is the real story of exile. Now the question is, how much do we Jews have to be aware of this? And, and how much is it, are we, are, is it, and, and is this really just a secret, you see? Are we supposed to keep this a secret? Now, I, 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 here's a very, very important thing. I grew up, in you know, in I'm so many of our listenership in the post-Holocaust um, um, environment, uh, people were because of the intense persecutions that the Jewish people have been through. We find the impact on the Jewish world is twofold. Sadly, many many Jews after the Holocaust or even were very 
uncomfortable even in even being Jewish because Jews were so disrespected because Jews are so 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 abused and so so ridiculed and been the laughing stock of people and so 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 suffered so much it has broken it has damaged so much the psyche of the Jew that he or she forgets to be proud of who she is, that she is God's agent to bring about ultimate transformation in this world. So people become uncomfortable with the very idea that even people should know they went and they changed their names, not to have any Jewish names, not to have any identification to the outside that they are Jewish, so that they can go and join the various different golf clubs and the different different things in which a Jew is not allowed to go in there. But yeah, that's what happened to so many Jews in America, happened to so many Jews across the world that are so ashamed and so uncomfortable with being Jewish. On another level, however, in the Jewish observant world, which I think most of the audience that is listening to could be very observant and very from and the like, but the idea that Jew has to have an influence on the non-Jew is something that is people are refusing to listen to or hear, or even if they are willing to hear this, are refusing to, or are very terrified, let's put it this way, of acknowledging that and, and recognizing that role and definitely speaking of it, because one thinks that, God forbid, if we do so-and-so, if we speak up and we proclaim what our mission is and what we're all about in the world, we will be accused of proselytizing. and as a result of that, it's not enough that the Gentile nation, that America has been so kind to us for all these years and allowed us and tolerated us, but you don't want to provoke our Christian neighbors. That is a Jewish feeling from my grandmother and great-grandmother, and that's what most, I would say, uh, Yidden over here, uh, all over, would feel about a Jew going out there and speaking to Gentiles and being very open with understanding the Jew and Gentile relationship. Just be quiet, shh, shh, don't tell anybody because this is something that we can't tell. But we have to realize that we can't keep the secret forever because if we are meant to bring and lead humanity into the days of Mashiach, people need to know, at, the, at least at the very end, what we are all about. And a Jew ought not to be ashamed and a Jew has to be able to stand proud and tall and say to the world, yes, I am a Jew, I am here, and I have a message from God to you. I mean, that, and, and, and that message is that you don't need to become Jewish, but as a, as a Gentile, you, you are expected by God to live a decent life based on the seven Noahide laws that Hashem has given to all of mankind, belief in one God, and that is what God expects of you. And if you do live your life that way, you will too merit to live and to receive a portion and to be part of the ultimate experience of godly enlightenment and goodness that is going to come to the world very, very soon. This is something that Jews ought not to be embarrassed and not to be ashamed, and quite on the contrary, as the time of Gullus comes to an end, the Gentile becomes more and more and more um, ready, so to speak, and, 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 recipi- and, and um, a recipient to be able to hear the truth. And when Jews try to deny this truth and hide it, the Gentile becomes more and more uncomfortable because he feels you're hiding something. Now is the time, as we reach the end of Gullus, is the time for Jews to get comfortable. You know, there's a, a, an expression that uh, was used in an unholy way for an unholy thing, and that is coming out of the closet. Jews need to come out of the closet. Coming out of the closet in this sense of I am Jewish and I'm proud to be a Jew. I have a mission. I'm here. I'm not, God forbid, coming to harm. Quite on the contrary. I have a contribution to make to the world. And I I, I understand that my job is not done until I can educate and influence and teach all of mankind that which God wants 
uh, uh, the truth about Hashem and his expectation. And this is something that, just think about it, is God not entitled if he was the creator of all of creation and of the world? We have become so, 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 so damaged, so to speak, by the exile and by thousands of years of divine concealment that like that the fact that God created the world and that he's in charge and that it's all his world is something that we're embarrassed to say or it's like, what do you mean? I mean, is Hashem not entitled to be the the in control over the world to be recognized all over the world. After all, he is the creator. He's the maker of everybody and everything. So therefore, and we are the ones who are supposed to say this to the world. So let's get up and speak. Let us say what we need to say. As we said, Jews are uncomfortable with that. But what, what is important and the lesson as we're going to see in Parshish Vayigash is that the Jew ought not to be afraid and he has to understand that when he is not afraid and he makes a statement and he's strong about who he is and what he or she is all about, then quite on the contrary, we get to see how the nations and the world themselves will assist us in exactly doing what we need to do. First of all, they will assist us in our own Yiddishkeit, in helping us do, strengthen our institutions, our Torah and our mitzvah and our observance. Secondly, they will very much welcome what we have to teach and what we have to give. Of course, it has to be done in a wise way and in a smart way and, 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 and in a way of humility, not in a way of arrogance, God forbid. But that is something that the world is expecting of us. Let's take a look at Parshas Vayigash and see this idea, so amazing. This is the theme, really, of this entire Parsha. Is the Jewish people's ability to be strong in the exile and in the Galsi? The Parsha opens up with the story of Yehuda approaching Yosef. When Yehuda approaches Yosef, you realize this, the, 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 the ten tribes find themselves in a very, 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 very hostile environment. They are now not in their home, not in their land. They are in a strange land. They have been already accused once for spying. Now they were busted. Now they were accused for stealing something. They know it's a libel. Fine. But they're, it seems like they've been caught in the act of stealing. They are standing now in front of a ruler. This ruler is a this ruler is a is is a the agent or so to say second in command the, the, the viceroy of the strongest and most powerful person that's that's in, uh, uh, in the planet. You're talking about Paro. The Paro was what's called in the sages referred to as a Moshel Bekipa. He was a ruler of the world. He was this Egypt was a superpower. And it was a superpower that was not friendly to the Jewish people, as we see over the next two hundred and ten years, the suffering that the Jewish people had. We find already that the first Jew who came down to Mitzrayim had already problems. Pharaoh Mitzrayim represents everything dark and ugly and hostile and negative and anti Kedusha as possible. That's what Mitzrayim stands for. That's what its entire being is. Now the ten tribes uh, our forefathers are standing at the mercy of the ruler of Egypt. They have no clue that this is Yosef Atzadik, their brother. To them, this is an Egyptian, um, a powerful Egyptian ruler. They're, okay, what happens in the parsha? The pasuk opens up with one word, Yigash, right? And he approaches. Who approaches? A love Yehuda. Yehuda steps up to Yosef. And what does Yehuda do? He demands that Yosef should do. What uh, should uh, do what Yehuda wants him to do, and that is to release Binyamin. And Yehuda steps up, and as Rashi tells us, he steps up with with powerful conviction, and with might, and with strength. And there is within his words, there is even a sense of threatening 
Yosef, that he better listen to him, because or else he and his master Paro is in danger. Yehuda talks very, very strong words. On the, on the, he's evoking compassion very strongly in the eyes of Yosef. He's taking every measure possible to get what he wants. But he recognizes that he needs Yosef's... Um, he needs Yosef's... Uh, this, the ruler's um, uh, help. Uh, he's at the mercy of him. But at the same time, you find a very interesting difference between the end of last week's parish and the beginning of this week's parish. In last week's parish, we find the the the, the, the shvatim, the the tribes trembling. We find that they're totally beaten. They're coming back to the palace, and the wind has been knocked out out of them. They all fall down to the floor. They're crying. They 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 they're ready to all be slaves. There is uh, there is that 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 surrender, the complete, the complete feeling that they're, they're, they're overwhelmed by this big monster that is now threatening them. But suddenly, in Parshas Vayigash, something changes. Yehuda stands up with unbelievable courage. If you read the Medrash, and you see how he stands in front of Yosef and stamps his feet and shakes all of Egypt and makes a demand, a powerful demand, and says, you, that, that, how will I go up to my father without my son? You cannot kidnap in Yemen. You cannot do this. And you will not do this. Okay? That's the, that, that's the story. And he prevails. Now, there is an, there is another, element that's taking place over here, unbeknown to Yehuda, but what is really, really going on, we the reader knows this, even though, but Yehuda doesn't know this, and that is that the ruler of Egypt is really his brother. And therefore, not only is he not an enemy, but he's actually an ally. Not only is he an ally, he's actually one of their team. He's one of them. Yet, again, it's not known to Yehuda at this time, but that's still the reality. And when Yehuda and Yosef are getting together, there is a higher other reality taking place, and that is a reunion of within the Jewish people between the two kings of Israel, Joseph and Yehuda, the two kings of the Jewish people. Okay, so that's in a different plane. Now in a third plane, the sages tell us, that whenever it says Hagasha, the Medrash says this, it means tefillah to pray. So Vayigash Elov Yehuda has a third meaning. What's the third? So again, what are, the, what are the two meanings? One is that he's going, that there is Jew and Gentile. The Jew in exile needing to plead his case in front of the Gentile ruler. That's story number one. Story number two, what is hidden and not seen, is that Yosef too is Jewish, and that the power that's really here is the power of the Jewish people, <laughs> of a Jew in the exile. Dimension number three is that Vayigash of Yehuda, the Medrash says, is that Yehuda is praying. So who is he really stepping up to in front of God to pray? So really what we have over here is three, a, a, a blend of three elements intertwined one with each other, because these are all three dimensions of one story. So let's try to figure out what is, the, what is the significance of these three things taking place together, because there's a very, very powerful message. There's a very, very deep thought, a very powerful, deep thought over here. You see what's happening over here? Because Yehuda is stepping up with such courage and with such strength. And how is Yehuda having that strength? Because Yehuda knows that he's not standing over here as a weak human being in front of a powerful ruler. Yehuda recognizes that he is, because Vayigash means also prayer, that he's praying to God, which means he is connected to the almighty and all-powerful creator of who created Egypt, who's the one who appointed Pharaoh, who makes Paro the power of Mitzrayim. The one who's controlling everything, the one who controls 
controls all of creation, the one that controls even the hearts of kings and all policies that are made by governments is all controlled by God. So when Yehuda knows that he is backed by Hashem, so therefore that gave him his courage. And he knew that right now Binyamin is in, in, a life of a Jew is being threatened and he needs to fight this battle and he fought it with all his power and with all his might, not crouching down, being proud in who he is and what he is and demanding that Yosef should do what he wants. Guess what happens? As a result of that, the, the, the amazing thing happens. It is revealed, because Yosef can't control himself, and it is revealed, Yosef can't contain himself. The mask falls away. The outer um, facade, which seems like that Paro Mitzrayim is controlling the situation, and suddenly we find out that the ruling power is really a Jewish power. In other words, the underlying reality that even in exile, the Jew is in power and in control, suddenly is completely revealed. So Yosef is, now let's, let's stand something. Yosef is in control. Who made him in control? Paro made him in control. Why did Paro make him to control? Because of a series of events that God, who had orchestrated, who threw a fly into Paro's cup of wine, into Paro's cup of wine by the Sarama. It was Hashem that put it there. Who caused Paro to get enraged and throw these guys into the dungeon? Paro. Who made, I mean, Hashem did that. Who, how did, who made that, 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 that uh, the, the minister should end up in Yosef's cell together with Yosef? Uh, God and who gave them these dreams that Yosef interpreted? It was all Hashem. So who brought Yosef into the whole thing is all divinely orchestrated. God is doing so. What you're really seeing over here is that the underlying force behind the politics of what's happening in palaces, in superpowers in the world, and this is all true. Let's understand something. This is true, not just about Mitzrayim of the ancient days. The, even though that's a story said in the in, in, in the Torah, it's a biblical story, and the story that you hear going on in American politics in the Congress and the White House and in Washington and in the president that has been elected or the all these things, you realize they're all godly things. Hashem is doing the only power is Hashem. And when a Jew knows that, he's not threatened and he's not scared. And when Yehuda steps up and strong, strong to Yosef, he actually uncovers this truth that who is really in control? Yosef, which is really, again, his brother and is appointed by Paro to be, to be, to be the, the force and to be... So what do you see from here? Something very, very amazing. That even when it seems like there are other powers and powers that are threatening to the existence of the Jewish people, to the safe being of the Jewish people, to our observance of Torah and mitzvahs within this world, we need to realize that that's all just an appearance from the outside because Hashem is hiding behind it. But the real power that's behind all of that is God. And when the Jew is not afraid to be Jewish and openly be confident and strong as a result of that first, third period of Ayigash, which means a connection to Hashem, all all masks fall away and the deeper truth that God is the one running the world and controlling everything is revealed. Now you see this idea that even the, 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 even the power of Mitzrayim, which is the threatening power of Golos, is really too only a troop, a power to assist the Jewish people ultimately, is you see further in the parasha. What does the Torah say? As soon as Paro finds out that these are the brothers of Yosef who came, he calls them, or he, or he sends messengers rather, to the brothers, and he says, I'm giving you, I'm providing you over here with wagons. I'm providing you with every, all the resources you need. Go bring your father, bring him down to Mitzrayim. And he says, V'chol tuv Mitzrayim, and all the good of Mitzrayim I'm giving to you. Everything. All my resources 
are at your disposal. To resettle over here. Obviously, to be able to build up your Jewish communities, whatever you need to build. He tells him, I'm going to settle you in the land of Goshen. Goshen wasn't just good land. This was the most fertile land of Mitzrayim. It was the best of the best. This is the Beverly Hills of Egypt. This is like the finest, the richest neighborhood, so to speak, of Mitzrayim. He gives that to, to Yaakov. And it says in the end of the parsha, the Jewish people took a hold of the land. What's the last Pasuk? It says over there that the Jewish people, I'm going to read the Pasuk to you. It says that they took... Um, they took a hold of it. They flourished. Ma'od very much. And, 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 the, and the flourishing of the Jewish people in Mitzrayim is so strong that the next parasha opens up with Vayechi Yaakov Be'eretz Mitzrayim. Shvas Rishonov. 17 years Yaakov lived in Mitzrayim and all, and, and Balaturim and Barachayim and, uh, and the Medrash in a few places. Also, and the Zohar, unbelievable, discuss how the 17 years that Yaakov came down to Mitzrayim were the finest, greatest, most amazing years of his life. He lived in such tranquility and peace and such nachas. And he saw grandchildren and he saw the Jewish people establishing themselves well. Yes, there was a deep pain in the midst of all of that. They're not in Eretz Yisrael. They are in exile. But to say... The, 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 the Medrash even says something so strong that because the 17 years of Yaakov were good, the last 17 years, it retroactively redefined his entire life. Kulman Shavin Latoiva, all the years of Yaakov's life are considered good, even though he was a man who lived through so many trials and tribulations, so much hardships, because it was so good. Now, what, how did it become so good? Because Paro assisted. Paro and Yosef, the land of Egypt did whatever they can to facilitate the Jewish people coming into the land and living there in the most comfortable way possible. Are you going to say to me, what are we talking about? This was just a beginning of a horrible exile, which was going to later bring about the worst persecution and the worst suffering. So how can we talk about this Parshas Vayigash in such a positive term? So we need to understand that the Golos has within itself two Parshas. One parsha of Golos is Parsha's Vayigash, and the other parsha of Golos is Parsha Shemais. And these are two stories of exile representing two eras, two eras, two complete different times within the exile. Parsha's Vayigash represents the Jewish people living in exile, in which it's true we're in exile, but at the same time we're the ones calling all the shots. The master of Egypt is the Jew, the, vi- the viceroy of Egypt is a Jewish man. Paro is completely dedicated and devoted to make the Jewish people be comfortable in the land of Israel. The Jewish people are having it even better than the Egyptians. They had a famine, and all their needs are being taken care of. They're being, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, despite the fact that it was hard times. Parsha Shemais is a different story. Parsha Shemais is describing to us, the Jewish people being abused and being persecuted, and the worst kinds of persecution. Babies being thrown into Nile, river bloodshed, enslavement, the worst of the worst. That's a, different, that's a different element of the exile. So let's understand something. This is very, very important. See, the exile has within it two parts to it. What we had discussed earlier, the transformation of the nations and the sublimation of the world, is one, one of the accomplishments that happened during the Gullahs. There's another accomplishment, and that is the depth of the attachment of the Jewish people to God is, is challenged during, during the, the Gullahs. And we, the Jewish people, have to reveal how devoted and how dedicated, how deeply committed we are. And that is uncovered as a result of 
all the hardships, all the persecutions, where the nations in the world have tried to force upon us to abandon our connection to Hashem, to accept other religion and other faiths. And when Jews had to, had to go through martyrdom and giving their lives up, Al-Kiddush Hashem, Mesira Snefesh, and so much hardship to remain Jews and to remain loyal to Torah and mitzvahs, that is the depth of the Jewish soul being revealed as a result of the hardships of exile. That's the story of Parsha Shemais. In Parsha's Vayigash, we see another emphasis. We see a different exile. An exile where the intention is not the persecution and the, and the, and the uncovering, the commitment of the Jew to Hashem, but another story of exile. The Jews influence on the non-Jewish world during that exile and that is that even that which is even the non-Jewish world during even even the power even the the uh, kingdom even the empire that we're being that is that is that is uh, exiling us they too are really really agents for the furtherance of the Jewish cause and they too are influenced by our presence in their land so that's the story of Parshas Vayigash. Two different stories. Now, what I do want to say is an interesting thing, and that is, as the the um, as the story unfolded in Mitzrayim, the element of transformation and elevation of Egypt happens in Vayigash, and after that comes the brutal persecution of the Jewish people and the uncovering of the depth of the Jewish soul. In the present exile that we're talking about now, right before Mashiach comes, this exile, the, the, the order is reversed. For thousands of years, beginning with Roman savagery and persecution after persecution from the Christian world, and as the Jewish people made it through so much horror and so much suffering throughout all the generations, we, um, as we sing Friday night, I mean Pesach by night, that God has protected us, that everybody wants to destroy us, that story of Jewish survival and to, to reveal the depth of our commitment happens for the first close to 18, 1900 years of exile. Then at the latter, latter stage of exile is when we enter into a period which is similar to the Jewish early period in Mitzrayim where the Jewish people are the masters in the very exile that they are. And what I'm suggesting is, and I'm not the one suggesting this, but the, that this, is in, this has happened in the United States. The United States is when the Jewish people came. It's the first time in all of history that we, the Jewish people, were treated with such, with such, were given so much dignity and so much respect and the ability to be able to build up Jewish life after the Holocaust. And it was with the assistance of the United States government. That is an unbelievable change from the attitudes of nations to the Jewish people that we had throughout the history. That is an indication of the transformation of nations. The, this, in the, this, as we spoke in the earliest year, and this is an idea of Esau being refined. The, the element, that very Edom that has destroyed us is now coming to assistance. And we see it two places. We see it in the United States in the last, uh, whatever, uh, 70 years, the like. Uh, and we've also seen it and even in a more shocking way, and in a more unbelievable way, in in uh, the former in the former Soviet Union, which for if there was ever a nation that was considered a force, an antithetical force to stand against Torah and mitzvahs, to stand against God, to fight a war against God, it was 
It was the, the, the Bolsheviks. It was the communist regime. Ruthless. Even before that, the czars were, were very cruel to the Jewish people and we suffered so much. But when the, the, the communists took over, the war was an outright war to snuff out any bit of Judaism and any remnants of God in the world. This was an unbelievable, and yet amazing. In 1990, when the, when the Soviet Union collapsed, and we have kind of the new Russia. So what happens? Okay, we say it's the loveliest of places. I'm not necessarily going to say that. But what we're going to say is that the government itself in Russia was assisting and helping in the reconstruction of Jewish life in Russia. Assistance, and especially now with the President Putin, he has given lots of assistance to Jewish institutions to build and to construct and to help spread Judaism. Let me read to you a little statement that was uh, uh, just last week. Uh, Putin gave an interview together with the head rabbi in Moscow, Rabbi Beryl Lazar. This is what he said. Putin said, the Jewish nation exists because it guards authentic Judaism. I must say that there are very positive developments in Russia. New synagogues and Jewish centers are opening up, and I am thankful to you. He's thanking the rabbi for that. I hope that all of our joint efforts will continue to thrive and progress. There have, there has been, there have been many nations who have come and gone, but the Jewish nations continues to exist, generation after generation for thousands of years. I am sure that this is only because of their strict adherence to the Torah and its commandments. They pass on these traditions throughout the generations, no matter what the circumstances. I'd like to thank you for the development of Jewish communities and lots of Jewish activities for all ages and all areas here in our country of Russia. This is unbelievable. I sent, Someone sent me this email last week. Um, and a quote from, this, from, this, um, from his uh, interview that he gave. Does this make any sense? Has ever heard something like this? A man who was born and bred by the Soviets, by the communists, should get up and speak this way? This is like the unbelievable, unbelievable indication that the Gullus is coming to an end. The transformation of the darkest forces that they themselves should become assistants and helping Jews. In so America, okay, has already been that way for so many years, has been, thank God, a very, very, very generous to the Jewish people. But it's not, see, what people think it's a generous we're nice it's not just generous there's something very deep over here the fact that people are warm and inviting and hospitable and kind and then even assisting is showing the depth of the impact that the Jewish people had on the world and, the, and this is all in exile the transformation of the Golos itself to become now I do want to uh, uh, add to all of this that to me it's clear that the, mirror, that the great um, uh, events of the last month, in which we've seen, Hashem, Hashem has showed us something so clearly. We're looking at the outgoing administration, which was very, very, very two-faced. On the one hand, uh, I guess he's leaving office already, we can talk openly. President Obama was trying to show that he's a friend of Israel, a friend of the Jewish people. But obviously you can only fake it to a certain degree and anybody looking under the surface can see clearly that that's not the truth. That was not been the truth and it was all a lie. And not only that, so in order, like, you know, I, I had, I had this, 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 this thought that occurred to me. You know when a dibuk, 
when a dibuk, when they used to have stories where you know we used to have a dibuk, a dibuk entered into a person and made a person crazy. It was like a uh, a spirit from some deceased person goes into another person to try to find refuge from pursuing uh, you know angels and the like. And there was something called an extraction, where, where you, you go to a, whatever, a Kabbalist, a rabbi, who can take the D-book out and extract the spirits from the person. The person has been going crazy, and sometimes you even hear a, a sound of a different person coming from... It's very scary, this all, uh, the idea of a D-book. Now, whenever these, this extraction used to take place, the rabbi would tell the D-book to leave, and one of the stern warnings were that don't you dare harm the person when you go out. I want you to go out through the toe, because... And it seems like when the D-book was leaving, it liked to leave its impact by damaging and hurting the person in which it was there. And therefore, uh, it was dangerous to extract the D-book because you have to make sure that the D-book is going to leave in a way that he won't bring it. It won't inflict any harm. So it was so clear that the Obama administration that is leaving office had to try to inflict one last infliction of damage, going out and trying to do whatever they can, showing his true colors, in which he allowed for this UN resolution which is a horrific resolution, which stands against the very, 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 the very, the very completion of everything that the Jewish people have done throughout history, and that is preparing the world for the for Hashem's kingdom. And Hashem's kingdom is going to manifest in a land of Israel that belongs only to the Jewish people, because that's the brain of the world, and only brain cells can live in the brain area. Which means, for whatever reason, God has chosen Israel to be the people which receive His light. Number one in the land of Israel, and through there, and through that third the third temple, light will come forth in all of humanity. It requires a full complete Eretz Yisrael. It, it definitely requires a Jerusalem united, not split. And, God, and for, the, for, for, for the UN and led by Obama and Kerry to get up there and to, and to um, make such a statement and that, that our presence, and the UN has been trying already all to say that we have no connection to the land. That's such blatant lies. And the, you realize why there is such lying. Because when the clip is losing its battle, when it's being destroyed, when it's being completely vanquished, it's fighting its last tooth and nail, as we spoke in the last class. It's trying to hold on. It's trying to make its last grip. So in its last war, to try to make its statement that, right, trying to fight and stop. So um, God has provided the miracle, or as we say, Higdim Raful of Nehamak. If God forbid the present administration, if the, if the administration that is going out would have been followed by the other contestant for the presidency, God forbid what would have been for the life of the Jewish people and for Israel. When we're seeing the nations of the world all ganging up on our tiny little country, trying to force a peace upon us that will never last, and everybody knows it's absolutely baloney. It would only bring to horrific bloodshed to the Jewish people and to the Arabs alike. It would be just a total misery, and everybody knows that. She definitely would have continued those policies. What did God do? He brought us uh, a new president, someone that is bringing and making a lot of people uncomfortable because of we don't you know the nature of the beast, so to speak. But what you do see is that, if you can sense, that um, he has uh, a very strong feeling for, for the land of Israel and for the Jewish people, along with a Jewish daughter and a Jewish son-in-law, and which is so reminiscent of the idea of Yosef ruling, ruling the country where the Jewish people are. Of course, uh, Trump himself is not Jewish, but the Jewish daughter has so much influence on him. And 
you see that from his ambassador, first of all, is promised to return the, the embassy to the city of Jerusalem, and the fact that he has um, appointed an a ambassador, or at least he wants to appoint the ambassador to Israel, a man who is not a Gullah's Jew, a man who believes in, a, in, a, in an Israel that is not divided, a man that believes that the Jewish people should settle across the entire land of Eretz Yisrael. And he is, and it's something again that is so, that you have to have such chutzpah to say because like in the media and in the world, so to speak, uh, uh, there has been created such a, such a, such a lie that of about a two-state solution and that Jews are occupiers and all that, all that, all that garbage. And for someone to dismiss that takes such guts and he has done that. And so, and you see the nature of this person that Hashem is putting into power is someone who at least appears like, if I'm not worth seeing right now, is not a person that cares too much about what everybody will say, but rather needs to, gets the work done, whatever he feels needs to get done. And you see that God is putting his man into office. And I think that it's clear that it's for the only purpose that he's being put into there, just like the stories that happened in Paroi, is for to help facilitate the coming of Moshiach Tzadkenu. And here is where I think there's something really, really, really interesting. In addition to the fact that the Jewish people now, in the last phases of Gullus, of living in a situation where we see that the very, very, the very Gullus itself is acting to our assistance and not against us, but acting hopefully along with us, both in Russia and in the United States, where you have two superpowers. But this is all a preparation for the Giyula. And the Giyula has to do dafka. See, this idea that Lesakin Olam B'Malchus Shakai, that the transformation of all of the world and making the world holy, is just Mashiach's business. It's not our work. It's just, that's coming from a lack of an understanding. It's not, Mashiach is not a revolution. Mashiach is a revelation of everything that we have done. And the whole point over here is not that God will do unbelievable miracles and show his power. That happened by Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. That's not what's supposed to happen in this redemption. This redemption, the redemption to the world comes with the world and from within the world, not by a power overpowering the, the world, not by a Moshe Rabbeinu coming and breaking uh, all, the, all, the, all, the, all, the, all the enemies of God and destroying them. That's not the idea. The idea is a sublimation and refinement where the nations themselves will assist in the returning of the Jewish people to Eretz Yisrael. Now, interesting, Vladimir Putin and the, and the Russians were involved in helping Jews immigrate to the land of Israel after thousands of years, that they, after not thousands, but after tens of years where they had prevented them from going to to, to Israel, they are now assisting in the return of Jewish people to, the, to Eretz Yisrael. And not only that, um, it is, so it is, so here's the thing. So, I, you know, this is a theory, and I don't know if I'm right, but, or rather, I'm pretty, I'll put it this way, I wouldn't be saying it if I wasn't convinced that this is the way it is, but again, this is already my own thought. It is very, it is, is highly probable, in my mind, and I'd like to share this with all of you, that the, 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 because there is a very strange thing going on. You know, people are, the news this week, the entire time, is we're trying to figure out, like, what is the, what is going on between Putin and Trump? What's with the two of them together? Like, you know, America has always been very wary of, of Russia, even after the communists have fallen apart. Right? And there's always been this, this power struggle between uh, these two people. 
And yet there seems to be some kind of a hidden kind of friendship going on. It's unnerving lots of people. Uh, senators, McCain, and this one and that one. Oh, and then Russia hacked the elections. Did they influence? And they, today they're busy. Did, he, did, they, did the hack coming from then or is it coming from other? Trump says the <laughs> evidence is coming, that there's evidence contrary to that. Whatever it is, the two of them keep on defending each other. And there's something going on over here. Which, as we, as we speak, if we look at this all from a godly place and say, what? Again, I'm not a prophet, but it's very, very likely to say that it is these two individuals that, in some way, in some way, uh, are going to lead the way to the reunification of Yerushalayim, to the removal of whatever is blocking on the Temple Mount, and to what degree they will be involved in building the third base on Migdash. I don't know, but it's very, very likely that they'll be very, 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 very much a part of it. Where do I take this idea? You know, the, there's two, 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 two very important things. In Rebbeinu Bechaya, in um, Parshas Shmini, Rebbeinu Bechaya is uh, from the early, uh, from the Rishonim. Um, in Parshas Shmini, he speaks about the kosher and non-kosher animals. When the Torah lists the non-kosher animals, the Medrash associates all the non-kosher animals that are listed with the various different exiles. The last one is, of course, the chazer, and the pig. And the pig is, the nation of Edom is compared, Esau is compared to the pig. So we need to understand what is, so the, 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 the Medrash says that why is chazer called chazer? Because chara comes from the word chazara, returning. That, that Edom is going to return the malchus, the kingdom, leyoshna, to its, its, uh, to its original state. Rabbeinu Bachaya, you can look it up, there's amazing words in Parsha Shmini. He says, the meaning of that is that the first base of Migdash was built by Shlomo Melech, a Jew. The second base of Migdash was built by Zerubavel, who was also a Jew. However, the second base of Migdash was built with the assistance or at least with the permission of Cyrus, Korash, who allowed for the building of the second base of Migdash. He says, however, the third base of Migdash, the words of Rabbeinu Bachai, let me read it to you, because it's very powerful. Rabbeinu Bachai says, um, But the third base of Migdash, This nation, to build it. Which nation? Because he destroyed it. Is there ever a time that this makes sense? That Edom, whether Edom is the, the Red Soviets, or Edom is Russia, which, was, which its banner was red, whether the Edom is represented by the United States of America, which I think is the new Edom. By the way, it's interesting, in also just to associate with this, in the descendants of Esau, in Parshas Vayishlach, it finishes with 11 of his chiefs, and one of them is Aluf Magdiel, and then it says Aluf Iram, and that's the last one that's mentioned, Aluf Iram, Chief Iram. So Rashi says on the word Aluf Magdiel, Ziroimi, that's Rome. Now, um, so I mentioned last year ago, last year, I think maybe two years ago in a class, that Aluf Magdiel and Aluf Iram, because the Medrash says on the word Iram, is referring to Rome in the days of Mashiach. Now what is Rome going to do? That the very Romans who were such a force against Mashiach, the king of Rome is going to bring, he's going to gather treasures and bring him to Mashiach. He's going to gather treasures. Asid, the words of the Medrash, let me read it to you, is, here we go, um, 
Lama Nikra Iram, why is he called Iram? Shu Asad Laram Tas Veroyas. He will bring together a treasures, Lamelach HaMashiach, to King Mashiach. That's what it says in Bereshis Rabbah in Vayishlach. So we spoke then that there are two phases in Rome. Esav has his first phase where he's an antagonistic force against Kedusha. And then Esav has a total turnaround where Esav becomes a force. You find it also in the kiss of Yaakov and Esav at that moment, at that crucial moment. So it's very, very likely to say that both these leaders together will pave the way for the reconstruction of the Beis HaMikdash and building it and doing what needs to be done to assist the Jewish people. If it says in Rabbeinu Bachaya that Edom is going to build it, now I don't know exactly to say that Edom, that Edom, um, that, that, that how much is going to be, we believe that Mashiach is going to build it, we believe that Mashiach is coming, basically she's coming off from heaven. There are various different ways to reconcile that. But definitely the ability to create the environment to make that happen. The first step in moving the embassy towards Yerushalayim, which is going to be done by Ezra Sashem once after January 20th, these are huge things. And what I'm trying to say is people are, are kind of like going around business but not really that huge prophecies and powers that are, are or, or steps that are in, relating to the, to the coming of Mashiach, to the bringing about the final redemption, is in the midst of occurring in front of our eyes and one has to recognize that this is happening. Now, um, I generally keep away from Ramazim, from Remez, and these hinted gematrias and stuff like that. And I'm not going to go and make up gematrias and things like that. But I do want to add one interesting thing, which I would not use it as a source, but once we've discussed in this class, and we've discussed in the past two classes, which again, I want to tell everyone, if you're listening to just this class, and what I am saying seems to be strange in your, in your, in, to you, I think it is important if you listen to those classes, you'll get a fundamental understanding of why I'm so pro the upcoming administration. And I want to also strongly emphasize there's nothing to do with politics. I couldn't care less about the American politics. That's not what I'm speaking about by this year. What I'm speaking about is to open up our eyes and to realize that the world is heading somewhere and we need to prepare for the redemption. We need to do more mitzvahs. We need to be more aware. We need to understand that we need to speak up to Gentiles as well and tell them about about where the world is heading to and that things are changing soon very much for all of humanity and they're all part of it and they all can play a role in it and they all and people should however need to accept upon themselves to abide by certain rules in which in which the Torah has given to the Gentiles and when we're not afraid of that we realize that the Gentiles are very welcome to hear all this I do want to conclude an interesting thing there is a fellow in Israel called Rabbi uh, no I forgot his name right now anyway Rabbi Glazerson and uh, he's very, very into the, uh, uh, works with the Bible code, which is Torah code, which is using a system of letters being skipped, counting letters. And, and in those skipped letters, you find let words being spelled out across the Torah. And he, amazing, it's, what's really amazing is every single event that happens within the world, you, co- you, put, you, put, you put it into the Bible code, you find that there are associated words zigzagging, crossing each other, associated with one event, and sometimes coming out in amazing places, in places that, that, that are so relevant to that which, that which the theme of that event is. So, not going into it, there's a lot of, for example, uh, the, 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 the winning of Donald Trump, the election, 
he found in a, and I saw this weeks before the election, when no one believed that he would win. And it said, and not only that, it said that Donald Trump will be Nasi, Artsus Abris, and Tafshin Ayan Zion. It gives the year. And the stunning thing, it says Zion Cheshvan. And he said, which was the, the day of the election. And, and, all, and it says over there, Oav Yisrael. Amazing. Another place he finds in the Parsha of Yosef. So he finds over there uh, this fellow David Friedman, um, uh, again with Donald Trump. Yoetz. Um, and, and, and it's in the Parsha of Yosef being appointed by Paro to be his advisor. I mean, really, really stunning things. And what I really found was really interesting is that um, in the Parsha of Ahibin Soya Ha'aron in Bamidbar, in a short parish, actually, the closer these, the shorter the code is in, the more unlikely it is for it to, to occur. Since sometimes he, it can span, these codes can span, that means they can be, between each letter, they can be 1,300 words. The closer they are, it's, it's obviously more compelling. So these, this code he finds in a very, very small, short area in the parish of Ahib Soah. Now, why the significance of it being found in the parish of Ahib Soah? Not only Vahib and Soa, but Vahib and Soa is part of it and the few psukim surrounding it. That parsha we've discussed last week represents the, 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 the relationship of Kedusha conquering the unholy world. That's the whole idea. The Aron travels and, and Vayom Moshe, Kum Hashem let your enemies be dispersed. It's the conquest of Kedusha over the unholy in the world. And so in those parshias, he finds stunningly, he finds the word Putin. Okay, Nasi Russia, the, 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 the president of Russia. From the very same pay in which you find the word Putin is, the, is another code that spells out the word Donald, uh, Trump. Not Donald, but Trump. Over there you also have the word Edom. You also have the word Memshal Netanyahu. You also have the word Tafshin Ayin Zayin. You also have the word Bit Tevis, which is in the month of Tevis, which is when... So I think, I mean, it's, it's really, really amazing. All these things is a representation. The ultimate conquest of Ahib and Soah Aron is when the forces, the two most powerful global forces in the world, are turning out to be great assistances of the Jewish people. And what a marvelous redemption is when we have the end of this Golas, instead of being at one of bloodshed, in front of being one of war, it ends up being that the very, very Gentile nations that have oppressed us all along turn around and recognize the value, the greatness of the Jewish people, and say and declare the Jewish people should have a land you should build your temple, and you should be the teachers to all of humanity. Please shine your light onto the world. Imagine if we see that, and I am pretty sure that that is what we are seeing unfolding in front of our eyes right now. And that is, and, and, and uh, the, uh, the, the amazing thing is, that these things are consistent with the parshas that they're falling out with, parshas Vayigash, which is all about this theme of the Jewish people conquering the exile, transforming the exile, is the week where all this is unfolding in front of our eyes. May we merit to be ready for the Gilulah Shleim, to have open eyes, and that our Hashem should open up our hearts to do tshuva. We can't be spectators from the side. We all have to assist and be involved in making this all happen by being more diligent in our Torah study and our observance of mitzvahs and the like. And all this will bring about an unbelievable victory and a total uh, transformation of and Hashem and, uh, and the final completion of the work of Ahoy Hashem Lamelech, Al Kola Oretz, 
ביום ההוא יהיה השם אחד ושמו יחד.